Hi, Jim. Oh, uh, no, I'm uh, actually Ted. Long yeah. ride from Australia? Uh, yeah, but I flew most of the way. Your arm's tired? I only want to flap them. Okay. <laughs> that could give you armoritis. Uh, it's all right. I just had a bout of hepatitis. Yeah, a little bit further down your leg and probably get pneumonia. Hell, I'd be more worried about small cocks. Well, I'm pretty lucky there. I've already had diphtheria. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of That's So Random, a random movie podcast. I am Heath Lambert. Before we get into today's movie, let's talk about my guest. I'm joined this episode by my oldest friend, the only friend I have from high school. I always tell, I always told my kids like, all that, I know, I know what's happening to you right now in like high school feels like it's the end of the world and it's so important. But believe me when I tell you, two years from now, you will not care about any of these people. And I find that for me anyway. That has been true <laughs> because no one else that I went to high school with that I was friends with in high school have I talked to in years. But I still have some form of communication, even if it's just little things about movies or something, texts and things with Terry pretty much every day, I think. So, yes, that's good. Welcome to the show, sir. It's about time. Thank you. Been looking forward to it. As you said, it's uh, the, the very randomness of the movies is. Of, of the movies selected, I think is why it's uh, it's taken a while for me to come onto the show. Yeah, because I'm not going to hand you just any old pile of shit. I'm going to hand you a very <laughs> specific pile of shit, which in this case I... is Halloween's... No, not Halloween. That would be better, slightly better, probably. <laughs> uh, the Howling 7, colon, New Moon Rising from the year of our Lord, 1995. Before we get into the movie... I want to talk about Terry a little bit. As my oldest friend, he's also the only person I know, not the only person I know who has died, but the only person I know who has died who I can still talk to. Because a crazy thing happened to, what year was this? 1999. In 1999, my good friend Terry went in to the hospital for a simple and routine surgery to fix a deviated septum and the old school, old man surgeon who was working on him, who should have been run out of town, clearly, decades before, stuck in his old ways, used as anesthesia, correct me if anything I say is wrong here, because you don't remember a lot of this, street-grade cocaine, correct? He, he used medicinal cocaine, that's correct, as local anesthetic. Yes, to numb and to slow the bleeding, and packed his nose with an incredibly excessive amount of cocaine and OD'd him on the table. My friend Terry was clinically dead for nine minutes, which is, I don't think, the world record, but it's got to be pretty close. It was, yeah. I don't remember the surgery itself, but uh, yes, there was. He did use cocaine as the anesthetic, and um, when he... the the um, the hospital waited several months after I requested the the records of the surgery to actually provide me with documentation. They were understandably reluctant to provide documentation of how they killed somebody. But from the from the records, it said that um, essentially, as soon as he made the the first incision, he didn't. Like he didn't wait long enough for my my body to absorb it, I think is what I was told, because it went directly to my 
heart and stop my heart from beating. It was fluttering, but it wasn't actually beating for 16 minutes. 16 minutes? 16 minutes, yeah. Wow. See, okay, maybe that is a record. Holy shit. Well, and what's crazy, what I was told at the time anyway, is that kind of the only reason you're alive today is because the doctor was so scared of what was going to happen to him that he never stopped doing CPR well past the point when the other doctors in the room were like, dude, it's over. You can stop. And he's like, fuck that. I'm not going to jail and kept doing CPR. And eventually it worked. That's pretty close to accurate. Yeah. I, I used to know how many times he used the, the old paddles on me. I don't remember what the answer was, but it was a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah. The, um, it's such a crazy story. And then you it, were in a coma for two weeks. In, right. I don't remember the, the details of how long I was in the coma, but yeah, I'll take your word that it was two weeks. I believe it was because I remember getting the call and I remember, and because to my mind, people waking up from comas is some shit that happens in bullshit movies. Like <laughs> in real life, once you're in a coma, unless it was a purposely medically induced coma for a good reason, it's probably over. And it's just a matter of time until somebody has to choose to pull the plug or not. So I remember going to the hospital where they're like, okay, he's in a coma. This will probably be the last time you see him. And he's not going to talk because he's in a coma. So I remember going to do that and then resigning myself to the fact that my friend is dead. And then like a week later, they're like, oh, he fucking woke up. And it was like, well, that's amazing. And the only sort of long-term effects you've had from this, shockingly, is like your short-term memory is pretty bad. And that's about it, right? That's, yeah, that's the the major long-term effect of it. It, um, it was never great. It's terrible now. I managed to, um, I managed to finish getting my, my bachelor's and, and start starting the, the master's program after this happened. Uh, but the many years after the fact, I, I learned it was even crazier. Like you said, when a person gets in a coma for any reason, it's my understanding is that it's kind of crapshoot weather you're ever going to wake up and if you do wake up um they were telling my telling my family that um that if i did wake up it, it wasn't going to be me that i wasn't going to be you know incoherently and stuff like that i do remember it the story gets even crazier i do remember some <clears throat> i was scheduled to uh to get out of the hospital i've been in the i've been in the hospital for for a few weeks already and like the day before I was scheduled to be discharged, um, they still had me on on the IV, like anybody that's in the hospital for, it's been hospitalized for any reason. And um, one of the, I'm on a handful of standard prescription meds for various things. And, and one of them is for high blood pressure. And um, a, a nurse came in and I remember the nurse coming in and changing my IV. And um, at, at the time I didn't, make a, a d- direct connection to that having been the cause of what happened after that. I do remember my heart started beating really, really hard, like beating on my chest to the point that I, you know, had the nurse come in and she came and looked at my, supposedly looked at my stats on their, their monitors. There's no damn way she paid attention to the numbers she saw there. She literally fluffed my pillow and left the room again. And I died again because what she had just given me in the IV was someone else's blood pressure medication. I completely forgot that detail. 
You're blowing my mind right now. Because so, otherwise, yeah. I would describe you as my friend who died twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I didn't even realize that until years after the fact. I'm like, I, I remember the nurse coming in and, and um, ignoring the distress, the cardiac distress I was in and fluffing my pillow. I, I hadn't realized that uh, that had been followed immediately by another coma. Died twice during that hospitalization, was in a coma twice during the hospital hospitalization. And yes, still long-term effect is short-term memory, bad short-term memory. I mean, pretty all things considered, as unlucky as all that is, pretty lucky. Absolutely. And I'm I'm very glad that you're still here. What's the craziest part of the story to me is that neither of those people were fired. Right. And despite the urgings of Every single person who knew you to sue the living balls off of that hospital and that doctor, you were like, no, I just want to put it all behind me and go on with my life. You could be a rich, right. rich yeah, man I was, right now. I was told to sue the doctor and sue the, the nurse, and I and I most likely would have won there since there was documentation for it. I, um, yeah, like you said, I just wanted to devote my energy to recovering from it physically. That was hard enough as it was. Sure. But yes, obviously, there's there are times when I think to ask specifically to that. I uh, wonder what my bank account would look like right now had I man sued them. You're a better man than me, I'll tell you that. Speaking of moving on with our lives, now that I've brought so the I am I am still alive to watch quality films like this. <laughs> yes, now that I've brought the room way down with a depressing. <laughs> it's not a depressing story though. It's a joy. It's a happy story because you're still no, here to not. talk to me. What is depressing? Is a movie that is 98% line dancing, 2% werewolf? <laughs> like this fucking thing? What the hell, man? Yes, I think it is It is not an exaggeration that half of the film is, more than half of the film is either line dancing or telling bad jokes. Like literally telling bad jokes in a bar. Yeah, terrible puns and like dad jokes before right. we had that phrase. Right. So you, in preparation for this, went the extra mile and also watched Halloween... God, why do I keep saying that? The Howling. Because you wish it was Halloween. Jesus, don't I? Unless it was those Rob Zombie ones. I'd rather watch this again. <laughs> but no, The Howling 4 and 5, which are sort of tangentially related to this one. Which So you'll probably have some insight into things that happen in this movie that I don't because I did not have time for that business. But this is written and directed and stars a fellow named Clive Turner, an Australian gentleman, who was also in The Howling 4 and The Howling 5 playing different characters. Right. He is, at first glance, a different character in this movie as well, though we'll come right. to find out nonsensically he is the same character he was in the Halloween. Like, oh my God. The Howling <laughs> part four five. Because in four, he's just like a tow truck it, driver. He's a tow truck driver, like yes. Yeah. And yes, they they say that if we're told, like, I don't know, halfway through this one, that he is, in this one, his name, is he's going by Ted. So yes, we're told more than halfway through the film that Ted is actually right. undercover, that, that he really is the, the character he was playing in number five. Yes, which he, and he directed four, and he wrote and directed four, well, he wrote and directed four and five. No, I can't even read my own notes. He directed four wrote for Anfon. And he was kind of seen as, what research I've been able to find, is that he was kind of seen by the horror community as kind of the savior of those movies. I guess Halloween... Oh my god in heaven, it's never going to stop, is it? <laughs> the Howling 4 and 5 were kind of an unwatchable mess, and he wound up coming in behind the person who actually like was intended to direct it, 
and like cleaned it up and made them at least watchable. And so he was kind of hailed as a hero of like, maybe those movies aren't great, but they they only kind of exist at all because he kind of saved them. And then they did it six. Did not know that. They did six with other people. But then seven, so he came back, wrote and directed and starred in seven. And that's when people were like, oh, okay, maybe he's not a hero because this is, he, someone uh, needed yeah. to come and salvage this like, one from like him. Like you said, four and five, um, I didn't know that about, I, I hadn't seen that trivia about him cleaning up somebody else's script in order to put together four and five. And you had told me before I started watching this one that um, that it was tied to four and five somehow. And so I watched them in that order. If I had, which I guess is good because if I had watched seven first, I wouldn't have watched four and five. Um, <laughs> four I liked, five I didn't like as much. Both of them were coherent. They were both coherent narratives compared to this thing. And also, did they have fucking werewolves in them? Because <laughs> this movie doesn't. <laughs> Right, right. I yeah, guess, you see. I guess four is the weirdly the closest one to the book, The Howling, from the late 70s. So I don't know why one Howling, howling one, two, I haven't three read aren't. the book, so I don't know. Yeah, but I, you're probably I, right. That's, what I, that's just what I read. I haven't read the books either. But I remember seeing Howling one, two, and three long, long ago. And maybe four, but I definitely hadn't gotten as deep into it as six or seven or any of that. Yeah, four was a... Uh... A woman writer and her boyfriend. Woman writer and her boyfriend going on a, a a retreat so that she can work on a book she's she's writing. And then five on the surface has nothing to do with the the previous films. It's a group of people who are invited to stay at a a castle in Hungary that nobody had been in in like 500 years because in the the prologue to the film, they were apparently afraid of, of one of them being being a werewolf. And there was this, like they, I don't remember if they didn't, they weren't sure who among them was a werewolf. So they felt like the only way to be sure they killed the werewolf was for everybody to die. So the 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 Lord of the castle poisons all of his guests at, the, at a feast. And then with his, his wife's consent, stabs both of them to death. And uh, they had a baby that survived this process. And then you skip forward to to the present when all these people are invited to to stay at this this Hungarian castle at kind of a as a dare as a I don't remember what the incentive was. I'm pretty sure it was a um, on the surface surface it was a matter of you know whoever actually makes it through the night in this place wins money and that that'll stand by that'll deal right. So they're, they aren't told until quite some ways into the film that, like I said, that five had started with the, everybody being killed in this this castle. And the people who showed up to the sweepstakes didn't know about that until halfway through when they are told about it. And uh, they learn that, that they are actually descendants of that one kid that managed to survive the slaughter. So they're trying to figure out, they have reason to believe that at least one person in the group is a werewolf. And that's why they're all invited there is to identify and kill the werewolf. So is the and, part, um, what if the party game werewolf is based on that movie? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be weird. That, and it's it's good actually that um, one of the, the good things about this film about seven is that the relevant parts of four and five um, there are flashbacks shown 
from each of those films showing us uh, what happened in those movies. But when you got done with five, did you feel like there were dangling threads that you were dying to know the answers to? At the... <laughs> because he seems convinced that he needs to use chunks of this movie to tie up loose ends from four and five that I feel like probably weren't there. Well, like I said, four didn't even seem connected to five at all when I when I just watched the two of them. And I will indirectly say that I, I literally think his reason for making this film, number seven, was because he wanted to make a movie that had his friends in it. Because I noticed by looking at the, the cast list that most of the characters, the actors are playing characters with their same names. And so I looked into that a little bit more and, and found out that this is set in Pioneer Town. We're told right off the bat that it's Pioneer Town, established 1948, near Barstow. The little Clive Turner and his friends apparently live in Pioneer Town and are playing, many of them are playing characters at least somewhat based on themselves. So he literally wanted to make a movie with his friends in it. And he's like, you know what? I already made these other two movies that were werewolf movies. So what the hell? Let's throw together a werewolf plot. And then um, what we'll actually be doing is singing and dancing and telling jokes and occasionally throw something about a werewolf into it. So he suckered some investors is what we're saying. <laughs> yes. yes. Oh, you want Howling 7? I can do that for you. <laughs> right. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so so yes, um, the, the direct answer... <laughs> To your uh, question, were there any burning questions I, I wanted to answer? The at the 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 final shot of number five, the one in the castle, and this is one of the things that they show. The final scene is um, there's a her name Marie Marie Adams. E, no, there um, number yeah. This also she's makes it more. What also makes it more confusing is that the <laughs> the writer in uh, number four was Marie Adams and. The woman who survives number five is Mary Lou, and who both appear briefly in this movie. Well, that, that's the thing. From what I could understand, yeah, um, Marie Adams does show up in uh, briefly in this film. What we know from the end of the castle on number five, it was um, Mary Lou and two men, both of whom were claiming each of them was claiming the other one was the werewolf, and she killed one of them and the and and relieved that they've survived this horrible experience he he holds her and and she they do a close-up on her face and it is strongly implied that she was the werewolf the whole time so number five ends with the werewolf mary lou having survived the whole thing which means that if i had watched those when i started watching seven i'd be like oh she's the werewolf <laughs> that's the girl from the last movie she's the werewolf he, um, Except that is it the one, same actress? Because that would maybe make a difference. It's a different actress. Okay, well then um, that's the disguise then. It's it's a different actress exactly. They um, one of the things that they say in this one that was never mentioned in the other ones was that the werewolf is capable of stealing others' identities, and so there is a when Ted shows up at the beginning, he's hired to work at the bar the bar where pretty much the entire well 90 percent of the movie takes place in and around this bar he's hired as a bartender one of the other bartenders is cheryl and something that i i didn't recognize until i was watching it again you had mentioned that in preparing for these you had usually watched it the first time and then you watched it the second time to try and 
taken more information. I, to an extent, I did that with this this one. Um, my second time through, I knew when I could fast forward through all the line dancing and actually <laughs> pay attention to the story. Yeah, that um, Something that they have that they didn't have in four or five was um, this. They didn't actually give it a name, like the the monster vision, the werewolf vision, this this red haze that reminded me of like predator vision. But it's clear that what you're seeing is the world through the eyes of the werewolf. And near the end of the film, the um, the werewolf kills kills the writer, and the writer recognizes the werewolf and and addresses her as Mary Lou. So this character that we see a a, a lot of through the film, Cheryl, that works in the the bar, Cheryl is the identity that Mary Lou has stolen. So it's a bunch, yeah, it's a bunch of stuff that. I, I, yeah, I feel like didn't need to be carried over from those other movies. If you haven't seen those other movies, isn't going to matter to you at all as you're watching this one. No. Which is, when the opening credits start, it says The Howling 7, Mystery Woman. I know, I wrote that down too. <laughs> so they must have changed the, like, it happens more than you would it's... think on this podcast that I get movies that don't know what they're called. That's awesome. Where they have, or they had a working title that for whatever reason they changed, probably because yeah, they were right. going to the, get the, sued. The title screen of the film says Halloween 7, Mystery Woman. That is the only place anywhere that you see the title Mystery Woman. On all of the various posters and covers for this film in IMDb, all of it calls it Halloween 7, New Moon Rising. Which, because they probably realized a little too late that like, oh, that's spoiling who the werewolf is. <laughs> because when it starts it says it says Halloween 7 mystery woman and then the first thing we see is a dead body in the desert like a skeletal remains and so my thought is okay this is the mystery woman it's going to be the a mystery around how did this woman die oh it was a werewolf but it's not it's a man's body they say right so I'm like right. well that's not the mystery woman i guess i scribbled that out too i even wrote my notes okay uh shallow grave of long dead woman and then they say it's a man, and I grab the woman right <laughs> There's an inspector there with some hicks who are standing around, you know, ooh, wow, body in the desert. And right. his first instinct upon finding this long dead body is to go see a priest. Right. For Yeah, we're talking no long reason. dead as in it's, it's a skeleton. It's a skeleton in clothes. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure desert, you know, scavengers got at it, but still, this right. is like bleached white. <laughs> There's still right. some hair on it, I guess, but... So he shows up to this priest with a VHS tape. He's like, okay, we've identified who this body was. It's this guy who was like a drifter. The last person he was known to or seen with was uh, this woman who's like bag he swiped at the circus. And he pulled out a VHS tape, which, I mean, good guess that the priest has a VCR. He might not have. <laughs> but puts this VHS tape in and shows what appears to be just stock footage of a circus that does not show any of the things he's describing. It does not show the man who is dead. It does not show a bag being swiped. It does not show any of the characters in the movie. It does not show anything he's describing. <laughs> he says, I've, you know, like, to the priest, all we have is this footage of this guy stealing her bag and that's last he was seen. And none of that happens in the video. <laughs> and then he says to the priest, like, we've identified, and I don't know what sort of, CSI team you got working to figure this out but he's like this person was killed by a wolf a super big one and probably standing on its hind leg yes How, what <laughs> where'd you get that from how do you know that I don't know what forensics would tell you that but <laughs> like once you're on the ground you're at their height they can eat you in whatever 
I don't know. It's really stupid. So we got to this bar. And I I will I will give the benefit of the doubt that if 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 the person had not been uh, not been mostly consumed and they had they hadn't been dead for very long, it's theoretically possible that the coroner would be able to figure that out. But we've already established that that was not the case. That. They weren't working with, they were working with almost no flesh on the remains. So yeah, I have no idea how they would have figured out that this was an, uh, a super tall. <laughs> well, it would be like, them. oh, there's, there's, there's bite marks on the skull that we've identified as a wolf and skulls right. are pretty high off the ground. So this wolf must've been standing up, right? Right. As exactly. if it couldn't just bite your head when you're on the ground. <laughs> True. So we cut to this bar that we mentioned before. It's a bunch of hicks sitting around joking with each other. Cheryl's behind the bar and they're talking, they're having a conversation. Well, Ted rolls in on his motorcycle, introduces himself. They're having a conversation about country music. He's obsessed with George Jones, he says. And Cheryl says something about country music. And the one guy says to her, oh, Cheryl, I thought the only thing you knew about country was the first four letters, which, listen, is already a shitty thing to say. But on top of that, the first four letters of country are seal you in. So you can't even spell, you redneck right. piece of shit. What are you doing? Take <laughs> yeah, it, I noticed you that can't too. even misogyny well. Like Right. Yeah, Australian Ted comes in and he just like this is the I'm like I, I can't imagine that he just that this movie exists because he wanted to put these people on film because this is the least cool group of people on the face of the earth. Because, they, yeah, they're doing these bad punt where he's like, oh, I just flew in and my arms are tired. Like, it's like we're, right. I think it's a vaudeville routine. And the guy's like, oh, and I know I got armoritis. And then it's like, oh, you could have pneumonia. or And it's just all that. And it goes on exactly. and on. And it's like. Exactly. These people are losers. I don't know. <laughs> like, unfunny losers. So we keep, and we cut back to the inspector and the priest. We keep cutting back and forth between them and antics at the bar. But the priest is telling the inspector that werewolves are the devil it's been a while since i've seen the howling a, right one he, two he and three that, that that werewolves are a manifestation of the devil right which is not a part of any werewolf thing i've ever read it's certainly not part of the earlier howling movies to my recollection no. so no. or how this priest is like an expert on werewolves all either right but yeah, he's like, yeah, this is the devil manifesting in a lycanthrope form and whatever. I do remember either four or five men mentions a demonic element as well. I don't remember whether there's a priest character in, in either of those. But there's never an explanation for how this priest knows about werewolves. Even if even if we are to take that at face value that, that at, as he says, that werewolves are manifestation of the devil, how do you know this? We're, we're never actually told how he knows this. Well, even if you are the Vatican's leading American exorcist and monster hunter, what are you right. doing hanging around in bumfuck Texas <laughs> just waiting around for the cops to come and ask you questions? Right. Like, don't you have other things to do? Otherwise, I, either that or you shouldn't know any of this stuff. And you're just... Right. Because we never see this man leading a church. No, we he's never just... see him in the vicinity of a church. <laughs> no, we never see a church. So he's just a priest who just lives he's, in this town. He's Father John, who was played by a man named John. Of course. And now we have, back at the bar, we have, it's pitch black in this room where they're line dancing. <laughs> Depending on which, from one angle, it's like lit normal and everything's fine. And when it switches to the angle behind them, they are in a virtually black void. 
Like, this room is so dark that it's just silhouettes that we see. Like, how... <laughs> what happened to the... There's a band up there with, like, lights and, like... They were there a second ago. What are you... Why right. are you in this abandoned, powerless warehouse dancing or whatever <laughs> you're doing? I don't get it. Ted is staying in his, like, motel room. And he's... We learned something's up with him because he's talking to himself in a tape recorder. Why he's making a record of this? For who? That I didn't figure out until I was watching it the second time. I did write down the first thing he says. The first, like, the day after he's hired, they show him back in his hotel room. And he says into the tape recorder that he just got hired. Uh, he says, everything according to plan, landed a job. Now I got to find out about the town before they find out about me. So we know something is up with him, but we don't yes. know what it is yet. Right. So there's reason to be suspicious that maybe this is our werewolf. Right. Then there's a bunch of goofy montages of these guys doing a sombrero dance while they're sweeping the floor and just messing each other just messing, messing with each other and like making fun of their each other's clothes and like it's and it goes on and on and it's such a waste of time and i want a werewolf <laughs> or or <laughs> as the priest would say a werewolf because that's how he pronounces it every time werewolf so the priest has laid all this out to the inspector who look inspector you came to the priest and he's like yeah, you clearly have a werewolf. And the inspector is skeptical. He's like, well, I don't know about werewolf. You came to him. <laughs> you came to a priest rather than another police officer or a forensic expert. You came to a priest and said, it looks like this guy was killed by a wolf standing on its hind legs. And now you're shocked when he's telling you it's a werewolf. Why did you go to the priest? If you were skeptical, why is this the expert you went to? Yeah, if you didn't suspect werewolf, why did you go to the priest in the first place? Right. Man. There's a age-appropriate lady around the bar that Ted is kind of romancing a little bit. Evan, who's a real nothing character that we don't get a whole lot out of. Just they're, you know, no. making eyes at each other. He's in his hotel room talking into his tape recorder again. He says, the town's perfect. Why do I care if I hurt them? So now it's like, okay, not only is he up to something, it's maybe something sinister. None of this is really going to pan out or make any sort of sense at the end because he's not up to anything sinister at all and who are these no. tapes for <laughs> the the um what was it the at one point well you but you're um you're good at going scene by scene through exactly what's going on whether it's apparently making sense or not so i will just wait until your notes get to the phone booth <laughs> and then i'll explain yeah more. we'll get there there's this lady harriet who runs the bar with her husband pappy who has, is it three or four music, full music numbers in this movie, is insufferable, painful to watch. It doesn't belong in any movie, let alone the seventh entry in a werewolf franchise. What no. do I watch? At this point, it's like, this movie is staring me in the eye and daring me to pay attention to it. He's he's doing, even though he's, he's given a, a, a place of prominence as a musical performer in the film, this group of of locals the 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 bar's regulars that are always at the bar huge fans of his his work and and always applaud him he he's doing bar karaoke that's exactly what it looks and sounds like is bar karaoke but it must be everyone in this shitty little town always come must come to the bar at the same time because there's like a right. decent crowd while this Harriet lady is performing, you know, and like real like call and response of the audience, like, hey, everybody, I wrote this song about the blah, blah, blah. Right. And they're all, yay, and they're playing the spoons and like clapping and like, yep. oh my God. I know it's like, I know there's nothing going on in your town, but 
<laughs> literally anything else could be happening. There right. has to be roadkill you could watch decompose over the course of three days <laughs> or something. It's, uh, it's unbelievable. There's Now we have the priest sort of lays out for the inspector the basic plot of The Howling Five, with including scenes from... And that this is where I'm like, oh, okay, this is connected to these other movies I haven't seen, I guess. I didn't know that. But he basically tells him, like... Yeah, there was this Hungarian castle, and they thought they got it. The werewolf got away from the Hungarian castle and has come to America, and apparently to our town. But how how does he know any of this stuff? I don't know. He does say that, and no, we're not told how he knows all this <laughs> no. stuff. He's just he, the... he does claim that, um, that yes, I blanked on his name, the Clive Turner's character in number five in the castle was Ray. And when you're watching five secret passages are prominently featured in the story and ted ends up most of the characters end up going into the, the secret passages on purpose ted ends up being trapped in one can't figure out how to get out of it it um he it seemed to me that either the last time we saw him he was stuck in a secret passage or he was outside in the blizzard where he froze to death. And then in this one, um, it is implied by the priest, like you're saying, that instead of having died either in the secret passage or in the blizzard, that he made his way to America and ended up here in, in Bill Pioneer Town. Pioneer Town. Then we have... Bustling population. I was going to say bustling population, but no, that was it was established 1948. There probably aren't 1,900 people living here. Oh, absolutely not. It's like 40 people. There's Then we have Pappy's music number, which is oh, God. even worse than Harriet's somehow. Ted leaves the bar and is attacked by a guy who was kind of arguing with him. We didn't really hear what the argument was about. And he's, he's <laughs> that saved. Guy, that guy is referred to as that drunk Davis. Yes, as if we're supposed to know, which probably is like some in-joke to them, but it means nothing to us. Right. But, but Ted is saved by the werewolf, apparently. We get the, yeah, the red vision POV shot. The werewolf comes and kills this guy who's attacking Ted. So now we know for sure Ted's not the werewolf. We, the audience knows anyway. The town doesn't. But the next day, they find, some of the townspeople find that body. And Harriet says, just bury it. We're not calling the cops. <laughs> for Exactly. I don't know what skeletons Harriet has in her closet that she's trying to keep Johnny Law out of town. But yeah, one of your and they, bar they patrons. Look at each other and, and briefly discuss this as though it's a, a reasonable suggestion and they do so yeah they they're just... very nonplussed altogether. they're like huh body that guy who comes to the bar all the time is just out here dead <laughs> that's weird right should we call the cops or what and she's like no just bury him end of conversation right like, bury him so the cops don't show up why don't so we... now why are we afraid of the cops that's how much sway this harriet lady has over this <laughs> town and these bar patrons is that they will help her cover up a crime that none of them even committed. with no explanation yeah as far she as just... you know she killed him Right, but they don't even seem to care. They're not worth. No, like, they don't. They're not like, oh my god, it's a body, and it's what's his name. They're just like, huh, body here. They're like, really, bury him? Yes, bury him. So the cops don't show up. Uh, okay. Then we have another goofy montage with like fart jokes and like it's like really what right. year is this? What movie is this? What I don't understand. Who is this movie for? Because it can't be for people who like the ho the Howling movies because no. they have yet to see anything resembling a Howling movie and they're looking at their watch <laughs> wondering why they're hearing fart joke. Like, I don't if know I who this is. If I saw correctly, according to IMDb, it came out in 1995. Yes. However, the, the film's production quality, the production quality in number four and number five wasn't great, but it wasn't terrible either. The production value in this one is awful. 
Everything about this movie implies that it could have been made with, um, it's not quite camcorder bad, but it's almost camcorder bad. Well, I've had some camcorder movies on this show. Like, this at least looks like a movie, but it doesn't look like a movie that came out in 1995. It looks like a movie maybe that came out in 1988. Direct-to-video, like... Right, yeah, I can see that. So now the priest gets a phone call from a woman we've... I've never seen before, anyway. You have, if you watched the howling four it's marie adams the character from the howling four but if you haven't seen those like i understand it's part of a series it's part of a franchise but you still have to it's basic storytelling that you have to give me some kind of heads up because i have no clue who this person is because i haven't seen these other movies so it's just lady who calls the priest to tell him like i don't remember what she says but it's like hey i think a werewolf's in your town and he's like yeah i know (laughs) is that the gist of the conversation (laughs) thanks marie right Glad you cleared that up for us. But the way that he calls her by name, he's like, oh, it's Marie Adams on the... Like, I'm supposed to know who that is. So I was kind of clued into like, okay, maybe this is somebody from another movie too. Now we have another musical number. They're around a... Well, it's not a campfire because they're still inside the bar, but they have like a fire pit or something on the dance floor. And the guy's singing this lunatic song about drugs where he's listing off all these drugs he used to do, but now he drinks prescription beer. I remember that song. That's in the bar. And it looks like they're outside, right? It looks does. like they're outside around a campfire. No, if you look it in the does. background, you can see the door <laughs> to the bar. Like, that you would exit through to go outside. And you can see some chairs in the back and stuff. So they just have, like, a fire pit in the bar, nice. I guess. Nice. The award-winning song, Prescription Beer. Well, we had... I missed... There was... The, there's a couple Snoopy women in town who sneak into Ted's hotel room because they're suspicious of him for some reason. I guess they kind of think maybe he killed that guy because we saw them fighting. But no one's really confronted him about it. Right. And they, one of those two women that's being sneaky about it and is and is suspecting that he's the one that killed the, well, the only person who's been killed so far, is Cheryl. You've got the co-owner of the bar and you've got Cheryl. Yeah. Who at so, that point we don't know is any, anyone special in the film. Right. She just seems like a snoopy lady. Right. They, they get into his hotel room. Under his bed he's got this box of tapes that are all marked, they're all supposedly George Jones country music tapes. Right. But they're actually the tapes that he's been travelogging or whatever he's doing, whoever he's recording this for posterity for. Right. And so that night, or after the, yeah, after the drug song, they come over and put one of those tapes in the tape deck. And I don't know if they did it just because they thought, oh, we'll play some George Jones now, or if they knew, like, we're exposing Ted. Right. But they play it. But what he said, what the, what the crowd hears him say on this tape isn't even anything that like guilty or offensive no it's not it's not like it's not the stuff about oh people in the town are gonna get hurt and i'm not who i say i am it's just something it's some rambling sort of thing about nothing but it doesn't really mean anything and i don't think anyone should hear it and go oh that's a he's a murderer the um but they act as if like he comes over and he's like i'm sorry you had to hear that and like walks out with his head hanging low as if he's just been terribly embarrassed but it wasn't anything embarrassing it just other than the fact that you record yourself speaking in your hotel room for no reason that's embarrassing right that they're a bunch of essentially they're a bunch of yokels which they have to know specifically what he said either but exactly it's it's nothing uh it's not exactly um anything criminal or sinister it's no it's something about these are not a group of impressive people yeah it's something about like you know everybody thinks their dreams are going to come true and then one day they find out that like you don't which i guess maybe is like referring to the people of town as like oh these are all you know go right. go nowhere deadbeats who are never going to make anything of themselves right but they know that 
<laughs> like that's not news. <laughs> even um even before Davis gets killed, shortly before Davis gets killed, Ted goes to a a phone booth and he calls somebody and um he he's calling to report to them. He complains that they sent that drunk Davis there because quote he could have blown my cover and. Once he leaves the phone booth, they show this piece of paper that has the phone number he just called. And it says, Alpha Productions, Catherine Rose Little. And um, we find out later that Catherine Rose Little is just an alias for Marie, the writer. That um, the reason why Ted has been sent to this town, the reason why he's got a, a briefcase full of cash, which is what the, the women thought they were going to find when they broke into his, his hotel room they thought they were going to find a, a briefcase full of cash because there had been one in there earlier but now it's gone and the only one they see is the one with the the tapes in it so what it turns out to be was that the the reason why ted has been sent to this town was that he was hired by the writer and we find this out when he is explaining it to the cops later that he had been sent to this town, hired by the writer to investigate the town because the town allegedly contains many of America's most wanted. So Ted is there to investigate and write an expose is what he calls it. But it's such an odd linkage and connection to the other movies because what is, I could see Marie Adams like, well, I'm a werewolf hunter now and I hear there's one in this town. But then of all the people you could hire, why do you hire the guy who apparently actually escaped from the Hungarian castle. Like, you two don't know each other. No, it doesn't make sense. You're right. Why it did doesn't. he send this guy to look for... But she doesn't say, I'm looking for a werewolf. She, you know, he's been sent to look for... But he knows it. I guess he, that's his cover, but he knows that there's a werewolf there or whatever. Right, right. But what? it's just unnecessary connections to the other but movies. Why, why did she choose Ted? That uh, Apart from knowing that these two were in... Uh, previous films we don't know why she chose him in particular so one of the snoopy ladies calls the cop calls a cop to come and interrogate ted because she's sure that he's a killer or whatever right and this cop rolls up and like takes him into custody takes him into this barn or whatever and is like to the extent that the that the town is suspicious of anyone being a werewolf there's more suspicion leading toward ted, ted than anyone else yeah but no one else in town is using the word werewolf no. They just think... No, they're not. Maybe there's a killer on the loose. Right. So this cop takes him in and starts trying to question him. Ted beats this man up and runs away. <laughs> so now at the very least, you've assaulted a police officer. This cop winds up werewolf food, and it's the only... I think it's only the second of the two werewolf kills in this movie? I don't think there's another one, is there? Well, yeah. Off-screen, kind of. Well, I guess they're sort of all off-screen. Our, um... Was it only the director and this cop that get killed by the werewolf in the film? It was that drunk guy. Right. And then, yeah, the cop, and then Marie later. Oh, and then Marie. Yeah. Got it. And Marie is right near the end of the film. Yeah. Yeah, so Ted beats this guy up and runs away. The werewolf gets the cop. And then the next scene that we have is Ted is, like, sequestered in his hotel room by the inspector and the priest. Like, they have captured him somehow, but there's no scene of that happening. We saw him run away from the <laughs> cop. Not. And now he's just been recaptured or something by the inspector right. and the priest right yeah here's where they blow the secret that mary Lou is the werewolf because yeah maria's like in bed and the werewolf vision kind of comes into her room or whatever right and she's like mary lou is that you which so now we know well we, we don't know that mary lou is cheryl but we know that the werewolf Correct. is at the very least a woman a mystery Correct. woman, perhaps Correct. yeah and here's where the priest sort of explains that and, and yeah, Ted when, is Ray from part five. Right. 
And um, when, um, like you said, we're not shown exactly how or when Ted is put under arrest in this room and, and put under guard in this room. And he is told at this point in this this scene that we're shown that there there's a guard with a, a rifle sitting in a chair outside the outside the room. And Father John of all people tells Ted that the guard's rifles are loaded with silver bullets because Father John believes that he's talking to the werewolf and he wants to thus intimidate him. Yeah, he shows him a silver bullet that I guess right. he's just had sitting around. Right. And he has enough of them that he can give them to all the cops in town or these couple guards or whatever. Right. I don't remember if it's the priest that says it or if it's Ted that says it, but they say that Marie was mind controlled by the werewolf to call the priest. So werewolves have mind control powers now is my first question. <laughs> Secondly, why does why would the werewolf want Marie to call the priest at all and draw attention to herself? This entire frame job part of the plot is such makes nonsense. No so you're no telling sense. me the werewolf that was in Hungary followed Ted to America, to this little town, to frame him for murders it had not committed yet, <laughs> when Ted has already told us that he's come to this town to look for the werewolf? Right. So he fled to America. The werewolf also fled to America. He now has tracked... He and Marie have tracked the werewolf down to this town, but I guess... She recognized him and he didn't recognize her because yeah, she, whole... she has somehow assumed someone else's life. So they also have. Yeah, they they, they talk about the werewolf somehow manipulating Marie. And that part of the story makes no sense to me. Like you're saying, I, I don't get it. I can't even follow the logic within the, the, the movie itself. No, I'm trying. Like, OK, so you're a werewolf. You've come to this town. You recognize Ted. He rolls into town and you're like, oh shit, it's that guy from the castle that I, that got away from me. Right. But he doesn't recognize you because you are in a different body now, which begs the question, when you get in trouble, why don't you just change bodies again and run away and they'll never <laughs> find you, whatever. But so now instead of just killing him, which seems like the easiest thing to do. You just killed the drifter. Why not just kill Ted? You're going to kill other people and then frame him for it and tell people that he's the werewolf, even right. though he's not, and will not be able to produce, like, I don't, I don't know. It's real dumb. Then we have, instead of just showing us a scene where Ted escapes from the hotel room, and this guard named Jero gets killed, we have it as a flashback. They're still in the hotel, and as far as we can tell initially, nothing has changed, because their last conversation was in the hotel, with him <laughs> sitting on the bed, and the priest and the inspector talking to him. But then they're like, oh, it sucks how half an hour ago you, like, escaped and killed that Jero, and they show us a flashback. <laughs> Why didn't you just show us that scene? Instead of right. telling us that it happened, and then showing us a flashback of the thing that just happened. Like, I don't know what kind of footage he was trying to cobble together to make this movie, but the way that it's organized is incorrect. Cheryl comes running up, finds the, because the inspector goes with the other guard to go do something, I don't even know what, leaves the priest there with a rifle to guard the place. And then in another scene that we do not see, Cheryl runs up and he's like staggering out like, oh God, I got attacked by Ted and he got away. But then Cheryl knows that Ted didn't run away and that he's hiding in a crawl space in the ceiling. And she right. waits till the priest runs away and she's like, okay, it's okay to come out now. I know you're in there. Right. How did she know unless... Is it a plan now that Cheryl is helping him escape? When did this communication happen? It, I don't understand, is. Terry. Help me. <laughs> the only indication we are given that there's anything going on with the crawl space or the, um, the, the attic 
is that the the entrance to the attic is slightly open. So yeah, the, the priest leaves and exactly like you said, Mary Lou just somehow knows that that's where Ted went, is that he's up in the attic and she tells Ted that, uh, that he can come out now because the guy left. Why she is having this conversation with him is not explained. I suppose she has, maybe she has werewolf senses so she can smell him or whatever and knows that he's there. But at this point, again, you're trying to frame this man. Why don't you, hey, everybody, he's over here in the crawl space. The werewolf's up there. Right. Get him and shoot him with your silver bullets. <laughs> and then we won't. Right. Instead, she takes him to a different hotel room, maybe her hotel room, and then lays out her entire plot to him. And she's holding him at, gun, at gunpoint. Right. But you could have just handed him back over to the police. That would have made more sense. Why have yes. you helped him escape? And now you're explaining what little he doesn't know to him. Right. If you were going to just explain, if you were going to, to deliver this speech, why not just do it in his hotel room? Why help him escape his current hotel room, bring him to a different one, and then lay out your, your explanation? Yeah, why like pretend it. to be his friend for three minutes and then <laughs> reveal right. yourself? Right. It's because we need we need these exposition characters to explain things to the audience that shouldn't need to be explained to anyone actually in the movie. And a yes. Another aside throughout the entire, I was going to say throughout the entire series, but the four that I've seen, and you can see it in the, the, um, the flashbacks as well that they, that they show from four and five. I watched the first one and then I watched four and five and then I watched this one and the transformation scenes themselves, like what a transformation looks like. I was just going to say this, how it takes place, how long, how long it takes is, differs wildly even within the same film because in the takes... first one it's like a regular degular cool looking werewolf transformation right and then in the fourth one like your all of your skin and shit melts off and then there's a werewolf underneath like you melt and then you become right. a werewolf right. and then in this one it's just a terrible morph effect and in that same one in the same one where richard melts into a pile of goo and then rises out of out of the pile of goo as a werewolf the I don't remember her name, but the, the chick that bites him to turn him. And we're, we're shown this as well in the flashback. Her transformation is instantaneous. He he thinks that, that all she's planning on doing is having sex with him. And she is planning on having sex with him. But she leans to down. To her credit. <laughs> right. She, she leans down to, to give him a werewolf kicky. And she instantly transformed from human looking to full werewolf and then later in the same film richard melts into a pile of goo and rises again and then now in this one at the end of this one when the werewolf we actually see her transform into a werewolf it's i don't how do you even describe it poor photo manipulation it's like a well again it's not a 1995 level it's a 1988 level like morph effect you know like a transition morph yeah because cheryl is mary lou the werewolf from whatever and when i say werewolf what i mean is triumph the insult comic dog <laughs> which is what this puppet looks like yep, tell me i'm wrong it's a thousand percent a long-haired <laughs> triumph the insult comic dog it's the stupidest looking thing like her face morphs really shittily into triumph the insult comic dog then she a stuntman in a werewolf mask breaks through the hotel door and then off screen is shot by all of these deputies with silver bullets and the total amount of werewolf on screen time in this movie is three and a half seconds yeah that sounds correct that sounds correct unforgivable <laughs> there we're, we're shown a lot more werewolf vision time than we're shown of 
actually being able to see a werewolf in werewolf form or transforming into a werewolf. Which, yeah, we've got um look, if you don't the, have you don't have a budget, okay. But then you know what? It's like the, don't the make a werewolf town, movie. The whole town is waiting when she transforms and leaps outside through I, I think she just leaps through a breaks through a door where it shows a whole bunch of people with guns off and then off screen you hear all the guns go off and it immediately is followed by another country music performance at the bar yeah and with at, with credits rolling over it right it, no no denouement no a, <laughs> no no it's the woman who runs the bar um describes it as a a benefit to apologize to ted for accusing him of being the werewolf music plays credits roll as the music plays end of movie it is one of even as dumb as the movie is the ending is even dumber yeah because i need i need a scene of these cops and everyone else in this town going holy fuck it's a werewolf like because <laughs> they didn't know until this priest came to them and was like take these guns loaded with these bullets just trust me I'm not going to tell that's you why. That, that's true. We and they're waiting for who they think is... They're, wait, they're expecting to arrest Ted as he exits his hotel room. And instead, right. a werewolf bursts through the door who they murder. Right. And they get... And we there needs to be some fallout from this. There needs... Because now this entire town knows that, like, holy shit, there's werewolves. Right. And we don't get any of that. Because this movie is terrible. <laughs> oh, man. Well, that's what you get. When you pick random movies, like I'm going to do right now. It's that time of the episode where I press the magic button to find out what next week's movie is. Selected completely at random from everything that is streaming. Pushing the magic button now. Next week's movie is The Taking from 2013. It is on Tubi. What is it? Not The Taking of Deborah Logan. Not The Taking of Pelham 123. Just The Taking. What's this? Two strangers must discover a way to escape a sinister family who wishes to sacrifice their souls to an evil presence. All right. That could be something. That could be a pleasant that surprise, the way that uh, This Is Our House was. That was a movie I'd never heard of that we got and turned out to be really, really good. So you never know. It could happen. Sir, thank you for being here. My pleasure. It took, Thanks for the it took too long. Uh, where can people find you on Twitter and things like that? I am easy to find on Twitter under my name, Terry Mundry. At, at Terry Mundry. At Terry Mundry, which is M-O-N-D-R-Y. Correct. You, uh, yeah, you do a lot of stuff with, like, the writing community on there and stuff, so. Yes. Yep. That's, that's your main. I Yeah, I post more on Twitter than on the other the other social networks. Yeah, we used to write stuff together back in the day. And we done... did. It was fun. I am at HeathLambert78 on Twitter. The show is at That's a Random P2. The show has an email address. That's a random pod at gmail.com. Should you have questions, complaints, concerns, things like that, I'll read them. I think that's about it. I'll rate, review, subscribe, all of that that I always forget to say and no one listens to anyway. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm resigned to the fact that I'm never I'm never gonna make money on this. I just do this for fun. So I mean do that stuff. If, do that stuff if you want, but it's not breaking my back if you don't. But that'll do it for this week. Your homework again. One more time for next week. The Taking on Tubi from 2013. Any closing thoughts? I, I look forward to seeing whether it is worse than Howling 7. I mean, that's a that's a high bar to clear. <laughs> that's for, for... I've already announced this kind of, but for episode 50, 
Chris and I are going to rank the 50, the 50 movies we've done so far, because he's the only other person other than myself who has watched every movie I've done for the show, whether he was on the episode or not. So we're going to rank the 50 movies that we've done so far. And that's that's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. Because I feel like the top five will be easy, and the bottom five will be easy. And everything in the middle is a, a paste of garbage that is going to be hard to... <laughs> delineate between and rank in any sort of meaningful way but i don't know we'll do our best i like the idea that'll do it for myself and terry see you all next week goodbye